pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Today is Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, time for episode 135 of the Barnhart Podcast. And there has been an impeachment and conviction that's happening this past week. And I'm not talking about uh, that farce that just happened in Washington, D.C. But at 11.59.59 Pacific Standard Time this past Sunday, Amazon Web Services turned off Parler. Does that mean that we get to stop getting these emails from people saying, you got to join Parler? <laughs> we can only hope, <laughs> but don't hold your breath either. Um yeah, it's um, it's coming to a head. People are finally realizing that this is serious. This is a totalitarian putsch. Um, these people are not messing around. They're coming after you. They're coming after your job. They're coming after your ability to have a bank account. They're coming after your children. Um, one of the big wigs at PBS um, mentioning Sesame Street in the same breath literally said, and I think... Um, who is it? It's uh, Project Veritas. They, yeah, James they, O'Keefe. Yeah, it's James this, O'Keefe. Yeah. This was not the news where where uh, Sesame Street said they will never have any episodes featuring the letter Q anymore. Ah, uh, <laughs> good one. But this this PBS PBS exec um, is sitting there talking about how Sesame Street needs to be used um, to reeducate children, and that children of parents who were Trump supporters or, or anything like that, that the children need to be forcibly taken away from their parents and reeducated because we just simply cannot have um, people growing up and living in this country who would have ever had anything to do with Trump or had parents who had, who had any um, affinity to Trump. This is not, these people are not screwing around. Finally, I think people are starting to realize that this is real. It's encouraging to see how many people are finally dumping Twitter. But at the same time, having said that, and also people are dumping Facebook, people are dumping WhatsApp, um, all of these, all of these um, big tech properties. But at the same time, um, you know, we've talked about at length on the podcast about how Twitter. Facebook, all these things, but let's let's talk about in the context of Twitter for a moment. That this, this is clearly, and I'm not using a turn of phrase, and I'm not being facetious. Twitter is clearly addictive. It's clearly an addiction. It is ruining people's lives. It is ruining people's um, ability to be productive. It is dragging people into unrepentant mortal sin by their conduct on Twitter and they, you know, they justify it by saying, well, you know, this is Twitter, this isn't real life. Thinking that they're, that they're not held to any sort of account for um, calling people the most vicious, cruel names um, for simply disagreeing with them or not capitulating to their, to their every opinion and every whim. Um, the foulest imaginable language, the F word being used as decoration. Um, it's, it's, really troubling. And okay, great. People are finally wising up and dumping Twitter, but they're replacing one addiction with exactly the same. I mean, to me, it looks like, it looks like you're, you're, you're quitting drinking, um, bourbon in favor of changing to gin. Well, I mean, it's, it's the same damn thing. It's the same addiction. Um, 
And I'd, I'd also like to mention and go off on just a little bit of a tangent for a moment, if I may, that, um, you know, I dumped Twitter in 2014 and I dumped it immediately. And I had 80, 8,600 followers, I think, at the time. And that's, that's no mean feat. If you had that's, kept the account yeah. and kept tweeting, you'd probably be around 86,000 had you not been booted. Yeah. Well, I wasn't booted. I quit. No, I'm just I, saying if you, if you had kept oh, with yeah. it and you were not booted, you'd probably cl- closing in on 100K. Right, right. Because that's, that's seven years ago, guys. Um, and I didn't. I didn't use Twitter the way these addicts use it. I was not engaging in conversation. I was not, you know, uh, going back and forth with anybody. I used it as a microblog on my blog. So there was that Twitter sidebar that you could have. And there it was. And when I saw an article or a link or something that I thought was interesting, but I didn't want to dedicate a full blog post to, I would tweet it. And then it would show up on the sidebar on my blog. That's it. I, I never engaged with anybody, nothing. I, I didn't care how many likes or comments or anything else any of it got. It was just the only purpose it served to me was as a sidebar blog for me, basically. As soon as I heard in 2014, and I think it was like Michelle Malkin and that crew, um, they were the ones who kind of were in the first group and first broke the fact that Twitter was shadow banning and with the, the, the term shadow banned was introduced into the lexicon. And it, they were at that point, Twitter wasn't full on canceling people or turning off their accounts. They just had the algorithm set so that people would be tweeting and they thought they had X thousand followers or whatever, and nobody would ever see their tweets, apparently. It was just, they were there, but they were essentially invisible unless you, I guess you had to directly go to their page and directly engage. And even then there was some stuff that would just never show up. It was obvious that they were engaging, that Twitter was engaging in a soft um, beginning stage of censorship. Yeah, that, that, so, strike, that strikes me as something that I seen, I first encountered back in 1998, which... On, on internet forums, which it was just an absolute wild west mess at the time, and there was a lot of Linux versus FreeBSD versus Windows flame wars going on. But the the term they used back then was called flipping the bozo bit. So if there was a bad actor who was just trying to pick a fight more than, or the the other analogy was, instead of playing chess, they were playing throw the chess pieces around the room. What they do is they right. flip flip the bozo bit on this person, and they would make posts, and they would see their posts, but nobody else would. So they would think that right. nobody was reacting to them, and they and the the theory was that was the best antidote was for somebody like that to simply be ignored. Now right. they would eventually figure it out when they complained to somebody else. Hey, why is nobody replying replying to my or saying anything to my post like they used to? And they say, and, and the response was, "What post?" And then they what log post, in as somebody yeah. else, and they see, "Oh, my posts aren't showing up at all." And mm-hmm. honestly, what Twitter is doing right now is they, they're figuring out who are the people who we consider are bozos, and we're going to flip the bed on them right now. It's getting a little more aggressive right now, where you look at uh, your followers, and and, and I had. I'm on Twitter. I've got a couple accounts. I've got the Super Nerd Media account. I've got Roman McLean. And honestly, I've never looked at the followers until this week, only because people are, are griping and complaining that they're down hundreds or thousands of followers. Like, I don't even know how many I have. I looked and it's like 200. It's like, 
that's okay. I, I use it just to snark off at, at anybody who's listening and to, and use it as a inbox for anybody who wants to send me something. But, um, honestly, it, Twitter is more therapy for me. I find a, a funny meme. I post it. I go away. So it's not well, like I'm, I mean, I'm, it's not like I post it and sit, sit around to see who's going to give me a like, who's going to, who's going to, you know, give interaction and whatnot, which reminds yeah, you're, me. You're clearly not addicted to it the way these other people are. These other people are literally living and dying by these micro dopamine rushes that they get every time they check their phone or every time they check their laptop and they see you have X number notifications or whatever. This is a proven scientific fact that, that, that this whole thing is set up to literally mess with your brain chemistry and make you addicted to it. And no super nerd, obviously you're, you're not that because I mean, you can, you can just tell by the, the, the paucity of activity on your accounts and you don't, you only have a few hundred followers. And I think it's just people who want to know when a podcast, like when a Barnhart podcast gets uploaded or something, I think you usually tweet that. And then of course, I have no idea about any of your technological um, accounts, your other silos as you um, introduced the term to me. So I, I don't remember where I heard that, that term before, but yeah, I've got one for amateur radio, one for Star Wars addiction, well, or, or Star Wars stuff. Uh, one for sports, although I haven't used that one in a long time. The the two main ones I, I use, well, I guess five main ones I use, uh, are two of them are related to the show. To this show, that's uh, Super Nerd Media, which I used that used to be the one until I realized I was doing tweeting in the first person, and I realized no, this this isn't really appropriate, and it, it seemed to it seemed to also jive at the, with the time of, of the the talk of of uh, minister and an office. And so then I realized, you know, the super nerd media is the office and Roman McLean is the minister. So I'll just separate these two. And yeah. if somebody ever take somebody else ever, ever takes over super nerd media, then they take over uh, the Twitter account as well. And I just continue doing my blathering as, as Roman McLean. That, that was the, that's why those two are separated. Roman McLean is, is the, is the guy who, who's being snarky and has, has a personal attitude and says things in the first person. Uh, super nerd media is stuff that actually is, related to what is happening at super nerd media, or it's supposed to be more elevated. Uh, I'll put spiritual quotes over there. Uh, and sometimes I'll re just retweet back and forth, which um, a couple of people have said, all, all, all that happens between these two is they just retweet, retweet each other. It's like, that's not true, but well, I, I do. Or, I do. or you can just cancel, cancel the accounts because I mean, go, getting back to my point of why I canceled my account in 2014, as soon as I heard that Twitter is shadow banning and censoring people on the right, I'm I'm finished. I'm not doing business with that. I'm not going to be in bed with that. I'm not I'm not going to support that with my presence even though my presence was no big shakes. I I'm not going to endorse that. You cannot keep bad company. And this is the lesson that I I hope that people are learning and will it will continue to sink in. It's why I've been raging a bit against um cable television. Don't keep bad company. Why in the world would you pay? Why would you pay for people who hate you and want to destroy you and want to kill you and want to take your children away from you? Why would you pump sodomitical, satanic garbage? Why would you pay to have a satanic hellmouth pumping into your home? And you say, well, I don't watch any of the bad stuff. I just had it for Fox News, and I just had it for, for this, that, and the other. Kids, whatever is on the package, 
that you are paying for, you are directly subsidizing every single one of those channels. You are giving money to, to the sodomy channel in exactly the same way and regularity that you're giving money to Fox News or the Food Network or Discovery Wings or whatever or whatever wholesome thing that you're watching, you are paying for the hellmouth satanic stuff in exactly the same way and and cons- and I won't say the same proportion because that's that is the business model of cable television. They don't make money off of advertising. The, the advertising revenue that they get is walking around money for them. The money is the cable and satellite um, revenues, the licensing fees, your cable bill, your satellite bill every single month. Why do you think Al Gore was able to sell, what was it called? Current TV. He yeah. tried to start a news network with, and Keith, he, he, hired Keith Olbermann, who is clearly mentally ill. Um, the only good thing Keith Olbermann has done on TV was his tribute to Tony Gwynn after Tony Gwynn passed away. Other than that, it's all been dreck. Well, there you go. I mean, he, that's not justification for anyone to be on TV, according to me. Hey, um, a, a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. That doesn't mean you he needs to be on TV. <laughs> stop, stop clocks and all that. Yes. There, there were literally times when my website, when I was, you know, running high traffic with in the aftermath of the Koran burning in the MF Global and all of that, when I was running really high traffic, there were days that my website traffic had a larger audience than current TV had. And that's not an exaggeration. How in the world then did Al Gore sell a a cable news network that statistically nobody was watching. How did he sell it to Al Jazeera for like a hundred million dollars or 120 million or something like that? Because all of the revenues come from the cable and satellite fees, not from the advertising. There is you- one other possible angle that could be played. Mm-hmm. And, and the, I'll, I'll phrase the question like this. Why would Hillary Clinton get an $850,000 honorarium for giving a 20-minute speech at Goldman Sachs. Sure. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar concept. Um, but it's money laundering. It's, it's just it's white-collar money laundering at the end of the day. So now you say, and you're talking about a separate thing. Twitter's free. Facebook is free. Oh, no, my dears. No, 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 no. And if you haven't figured that out yet, if you're not figuring that out right now, nothing is free. You yeah, were the commodity. I've, I've been wanting to, to mention this uh, a few points, but you were on a roll. Uh, if you have Netflix, which, by the way, you shouldn't, but if you do, before you cancel it, there is a documentary, which unfortunately is only available on Netflix or maybe Pirate Bay, but I don't recommend going there either because you'll end up in a different kind of trouble. But uh, there's a, a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Watch that and then cancel your Netflix. It lays out in scientific detail from the people who invented these algorithms at Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram and Pinterest, how these algorithms are designed to addict you. And the whole point is to sell your interest, to sell ads. And they Mm -hmm. have contingency algorithms where if you deviate from your normal pattern for, say, 12 hours, let's say somebody challenged you 
to not pick up your phone for a week. They'll figure this out and they'll actually put your, your profile into what's called resurrection mode and start figuring out what's the most addictive thing to get you to pick up your phone again. And they'll even show you fewer ads and more high value content to make you stick around for a while and then start feeding the fat, the ads back in. Wow. And you know, of the, of the dynamics that are at play here, that is actually the most benign because now as you all are figuring out all of this stuff is, has been collected as intelligence and they are going to use it to attempt to utterly, completely purge you up to and including your life, as in kill you. They are going to use all of this intelligence that you have handed to them to come after you, to make sure that you are unemployable, that you cannot have a bank account, that you cannot travel. And eventually they're going to come after you. And it's this thing is going to make the French Revolution look like a, a misunderstanding between gentlemen before it is all finished. Well, the French Revolution Don't- had well-defined sides. Robespierre mm-hmm. and all his thugs rounding up the enemies of the state and executing them. Whereas in this case, it's going to be decentralized, which is the irony here, because all of the centralized authority and intelligence in in the major uh, tech platforms, we're going to send out the signals to everybody. Just take things into your own hands. And if somebody's a Trump supporter, they're they're a uh, a Nazi, and it's it's morally okay to punch and kill Nazis. Yeah. The other thing that they've started doing, and they're doing it with Melania. And leaving aside for a moment the question of the validity of the marriage of of Donald Trump to Melania Nouse, let's just put that to the side for just a moment. Um, A campaign is now very much underway in which she is being told in no uncertain terms that if she does not civilly divorce him, that her life will be completely destroyed and that she will have no life. And I'm, I'm sure the implication also is that they're going to go after Baron and take Baron away from her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're, they're explicitly telling her, I think it was a vanity fair piece. Um, I'd have to look it up. We'll try to get it in the show notes. They told her, you civilly divorce him or you are finished on this planet. There will be nowhere to go. There will be nowhere to hide. We will, we will follow you everywhere. Now, um, it's, um, it's, it's terrifying. And this, this is all, that's what's going to come. It's going to be, um, doctors, let's say, for example, someone in a licensed profession who can have their license pulled. Um, they're going to start looking into the social media activities of people's spouses, and they are then going to start purging people or, or giving them the ultimatum, you have to get divorced. Sh- show us a divorce filing if you want to keep your job as, if you want to keep your license as a medical doctor. Um, show us your divorce filings or else we're going to have to foreclose on your mortgage. Um, remember that's the warning I've been making for years. It's been almost a decade. It's been, no, it's been nine years. I think, um, I was foreclosed upon and I mean the fastest foreclosure and liquidating auction that anyone had ever seen. It was, 
it was less than six months. And the original date from the notification of foreclosure for me until the first scheduled um, date of liquidation on the courthouse, on the county courthouse steps in Douglas County, Colorado, was I think less than, let me think, January, March, April. It was, it was less than five months. And it ended out, it ended up dragging out to seven, I think. But it was by far the fastest foreclosure and auction that anyone, you know, any real estate agent, any attorney I'd ever talked to had ever seen. They were, they were flabbergasted. And remember, why was I foreclosed upon? Had I ever missed a payment? Heck no. In fact, I paid $100 a week principal extra on all of my mortgages. I'd never missed a payment. I'd never been late. In fact, I overpaid my mortgages as, as a matter of a, that was my business plan. That was my business model. Why, why was I foreclosed upon? Because I hadn't filed a tax return. Provi- provide your tax return or else we, we will foreclose on your mortgage. That's child's play compared to what's coming now. If you had, if you gave money to Trump, if you had anything on Facebook about Trump, which like literally more than half the country did, and does well. It's going to start with Parler, and part of the part of my notes here is not only was Parler taken off of AWS, which is a fun topic in and of itself, which stands for Amazon Amazon Web, Amazon Web Services. Sir. Yeah, yeah they, they are the dominant cloud pa- platform on the internet. Where if you're a startup company or even an established company and you want to move some of your IT infrastructure to the cloud, AWS is where you go, mm-hmm. and. I'm I'm AWS certified. I, the company I work for has all of their infrastructure in there. It's magnificent in terms of what you can do by not having any capital expense for having your own hardware. Everything is operational expense, um, and and so it made sense for a company like Parler, where if if it doesn't grow, then they're not really spending that much money. But if it takes off like wildfire, then the way AWS services work is everything just auto scales. And assuming, you know, if you have that kind of traffic, then you can probably monetize it, then that's a good thing. So it, it, it made sense that they were on a cloud provider. Now, Google can do that too. Amazon or Azure can do that. Or Microsoft Azure can do that as well. It's just that that's like comparing a, um, let me think of a good analogy here, um, a Fiat 500 versus a um, V8 uh, Corvette. They'll both oh, I was going to say it's like comparing. I, th- I was. I thought you were going to say it's like comparing Hitler, Hitler to Stalin or something like that. No, out, I mean, out of the frying pan and into the fr- fr- out of the frying pan and into the fire. But you're saying that Amazon's technology is superior. Oh, massively. And okay, I, I okay. say that having having had some some exposure to Azure and and uh, understanding a little bit about what they do over there. Learning what AWS is doing. The other analogy I've given to some tech people is that AWS, uh, when you start learning it, there's hundreds and literally hundreds of services. They're like finely specified um, purpose-built Lego pieces. There's the the little tiny ones that you can build Mm -hmm. like uh, the Death Star or the Millennium Falcon or something very precise, and it looks correct. I mean, everything looks and functions. It's got moving parts and all the rest. Whereas AWS or Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud, it's like Duplos. They're like the size of oh. <laughs> bricks for building your house. You can build something that kind of looks like a guy or, a, or like an airplane, but it doesn't look exactly the same. Whereas with the the building blocks that AWS gives you, it'll look exactly like a 747. Hmm. So, it, and there's tremendous power in that. Now, are, is what I was going to get to is that 
despite all of that amazing infrastructure power that they give you, you still have to do the programming correctly. And I don't know what amateurs they had over at Parler, but uh, somebody made off with about, they estimate 99% or more of all of the, the content that was ever uploaded to Parler. Oh, fantastic. Well, all these social media companies have uh, application programming interfaces or APIs. So they'll have third-party companies that can either um, post con post uh, content into your service or they can read content out. And in the case of Parler's API, they didn't have any authentication on the endpoint. And all of the tweets, or whatever they called them, all the posts on Parler were, had sequential numbers as opposed to a GUID, which has a semi-random quality to it. So you go back to one and you say, read the, the uh, message for uh, message number one and just start incrementing until you hit nulls and just keep going until you really, you know, some of them really get deleted from the database, but most of them don't. So somebody just simply went through and downloaded 80 terabytes of or 90 terabytes of messaging information, including raw messages, metadata, including geolocation, um, photos and videos that had all the metadata um, included on the photos and video. So, and, and this has been turned over to the FBI. So the, the whole idea of the people who allegedly use Parler to organize what happened on January 6th, which from what I've heard, more of the organization for that happened on Facebook. So why hasn't Facebook been taken offline? But hmm. uh, all of this data, which you know wasn't scrubbed, if you upload a picture, not that you have a Twitter account, but if I were to take a picture of, um, I don't know, the, the tree in my front yard and post it to Twitter, Twitter rips out all of the geolocation information before that tree goes on online. So you might be able to do some kind of, I don't know, person of interest, supercomputer kind of thing to say, okay, the shadows at this particular point in time suggest maybe it's at 42 degrees latitude or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Have mm -hmm. fun with that. But it takes all of the metadata out of the image file itself. Now, Twitter's got it all, and they've got it in their database, and they definitely try to monetize that. But in the case of Parler, they didn't rip any of this metadata out of their files. So if you have ever had a Parler account for people who are listening and you uploaded anything, that all of your data, including all the metadata, where you were, what kind of computer you were on, whether it was a Mac or a Linux or whatever, um, uh, where you were physically, if it was from an iPhone or an Android device, that data is out there. So Great. whether whether or not you did something incriminating, whether it's actually incriminating to law enforcement or just incriminating to the thought police that's out there what about private messages what is private about a private message was there such a thing on, on parlor i don't know i have no idea um in the case of twitter what, when you what do, about twitter well in the case of twitter direct messages are not encrypted so Twitter can definitely have access. If somebody, if FBI serves papers to Twitter and says, give me all the direct messages that, that uh, Roman McLean and Super Nerd Media ever sent and received, they can get them. Mm -hmm. Now, if the FBI served papers to Wire or Signal and said, give me all of the messages that um, my usernames that I have over there um, ever sent, they can say, well, we can tell you encrypted blocks, but we don't know what it is. Because mm. those, those messages are encrypted from end to end, mm -hmm. which is a term that I, I wanted to explain later. But um, the, there, a, a lot of services online talk about encryption, and it's like all of our data is encrypted. Great. Where and how? Uh, in, in the case of, let, let's take um, Signal, for example. The, the encryption happens on the device before the message is sent. So... 
encryption before the message is even sent. And then you have encryption in transit with something like, like uh, HTTP, which technically is called TLS now. And then once it lands on the other end or the other device, it's encrypted at rest. So there's never a point during the transmission of the message where it's not encrypted. And it's using a key system where only the device on the other end can encrypt that message or decrypt the message. And in the case of a, a, a shared channel where a whole bunch of people or just, just multiple people are in a channel, say on Signal, if, if you're, for any of the Signal users in the audience, and I'm sure a lot of you are new to Signal in the last week, yeah. um, when you join a group chat, you will see that you have no idea what the history was. It's because your encryption key is added to the pool of encryption keys for the channel. Everyone who's been there before their client has keys to, to see everything, all, all the, the, the message history, but you don't. So you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. But from that point on, you will. And okay. that, that's, a, that's a feature. That's, I mean, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a positive thing. So I forgot where we were going with this. Uh, parlor direct messages. I don't know what kind of encryption scheme they were using. If they were using uh, Signal Protocol to encrypt messages, then that could be secure. Signal Protocol is open source, and Signal is not the only one using it. In fact, WhatsApp uses it. Um, Google had two different messaging products, which in true Google fashion, they launched them and then killed them within two years. Uh, they were using Signal Protocol as well. I, I've, I've lost count of all the different services and messaging platforms that, that are using Signal Protocol, but it, it's a pretty good implementation. Well, but, what's up? But WhatsApp is Facebook, and we've all, I mean, anybody who had any concerns about any of this, we dropped WhatsApp, like, good grief, it's like years ago now, isn't it? Probably two years? Yeah, the, the big thing now is if you don't agree to let what, um, WhatsApp share, or WhatsApp, I'm, I'm using your term now, WhatsApp use uh, information about your account and your usage and share that with the rest of the Facebook um, application family which mm-hmm. includes Facebook itself, Instagram, and I forget who else is now in Facebook. They own some banking concerns. They own some, own some telecom concerns. Facebook owns some stuff that you don't know about. So sharing it with them allows them to cross-relate information. Uh, make a slight tangent here. Mm-hmm. Uh, after all of the events on January 6th, which was labeled as an insurrection in, in the general news media, I was commenting to some colleagues of mine, wouldn't it be neat if... Because I and I'm and because I just finished one of my certifications for AWS, I had to learn about all of their or the majority of their services, and they've got a service called Recognition, spelled with a K instead of a C, because they're AWS and they just do that, or at least or maybe it's because they wanted to trademark it. I don't know, but what it what it does is it does um, facial recognition in photos and video, and it will extract a biometric identification. So if you if you fed all the available photos from the January sixth crowds and uh, surrounding the Capitol and people meandering through the Capitol, feed all those photos and videos through AWS recognition. In addition to generating a gigantic bill that AWS is, is happy to invoice you for, you'll also get this nice database of here are all the unique biometric identifiers that we can extrapolate from all the photos and video. Great. That doesn't necessarily tell you who it is, but then you can start cross-referencing this against other sources of information, say mugshots, where you definitely have somebody's name. Uh-huh. and other ways of identifying a person to a name. And I was commenting, it's like, wouldn't it be neat uh, if you had all the photos and video 
from all these, let's call them mass gatherings. I don't want to call them insurrections, riots, peaceful protests or anything. Let's just call them mass gatherings. And you 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 feed all of this stuff through through something like AWS recognition and you're able to run biometric matches. So let's say Viking Boy, who mm-hmm. the guy with the horns and who, is that the one who insisted on having an organic diet? Yes. Okay. Yes. Organic diet uh, Viking Boy. Where else has he shown up? Okay, so he was on the on, on the mall and in the in the Capitol on January sixth. He was also in a BLM protest in Phoenix back in you know, in the summer. He was also at I don't know CES in two thousand eighteen or something like Mark that. Mark Doherty, who lives in Arizona, says that that guy is a well known. He shows up at every whacked out leftist hippie kooky oh he claims he's a he's a shaman which is a witch doctor which is why he had to have apparently the 100 percent organic diet and then that's his religion and whatever oh that that guy is an absolute nutcase loser who literally literally lives in his mother's basement and I, i i saw something that he was in the marine corps at some point but um the marine corps didn't do good things for that young man because um you know he's a He's a godless neo-pagan hippie who lives in his mother's basement, and he's totally on the left. Um, quick, quick tangent for me. I got some, you know, hate email from people from um, two women. There were two women. Where how dare you, Anne, from your blog post say that he was MAGA? And I was like, girls, ladies, the point of my post is that he isn't MAGA. I mean, what what MAGA person is a sh- a shaman? Which what, is what? make America great again, because not yeah. everybody who listens to the Barnhart podcast follows American politics or really cares one way or the other about it. This is true. That's it's kind of the name, the informal name of Trump's. Um, I don't know. Would you even call it? It's not a party. It's more of a slogan. Sl- a slogan for Trump: "Make America Great Again." MAGA. Which he stole from Ronald Reagan. Uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Make America Great Again and and Sun Sunrise in America. Those were the two slogans. So they're they're saying, how could you how could you say that Viking Boy was was part of MAGA? I was like, guys, I was being facetious and ironic and snarky, if you want to use that word. Of course he isn't. How how is you know MAGA people are are middle class working class flyover country Americans both both white and black because there's the whole diamond and silk um, phenomenon as I call it which is the, those two black ladies who I think were from the Carolinas who were doing videos they got censored they got booted off of everything who and they were pro Trump and they were just like. He's, I don't know, but the black unemployment rate has, has plummeted and black people have jobs. So we're, we're cool with him. And they were making these, um, very popular videos. So there's a lot of black people in the U S that were pro Trump just because he, he did, um, stimulate job creation. Um, and a lot of black people found jobs as a result of it. So um, I think the only demographic where Trump lost ground in this last election compared to in 2016 was white men. 
the only demographic that he lost ground was white men. Well, yeah, yeah, I can see statistically what you're saying because everyone else increased. Women increased, blacks increased, Hispanics increased, of course, which is actually another just massive statistical proof set that that Trump won. I mean, it's not possible to for him to increase um, his, his voter share across the board in all of these demographic groups and then lose the election to, you know, a man that everybody knows is dying of dementia. Um, so, but where was I going? Um, talking about, Oh, the, the, the ironic posts. I mean, seriously, guys, I use humor. I use irony. I use snark and I'm, I'm not going to do the deal where I have to, you know, every time I make a humorous comment, that I, or an ironic comment or something, I have to put in, in parentheses beforehand, this is irony. This is a joke. This is satire. And my advice to people and what I told both of these women is, is if you do, if you are not able to tell, if you are not able to instantly discern when someone, even in writing, is being ironic and snarky and making a point using irony, of course, of course, Viking boy isn't MAGA. He's he's a he's a leftist hippie, uh, witch doctor who lives in his mother's basement. Of course, he's he's on the left. Of course, he's on the left. That's the point. Um, if you can't discern that, stop reading my blog immediately because it is not going to help you. It is you're going to get confused because. I'm sorry, but in rhetoric, um, humor, sarcasm, irony, these are important rhetorical devices, and I use them. And if you can't identify those, stop reading me immediately because you're only going to get confused and there's going to be problems. And Anne's not going to put emojis on her blog. Uh, I, in fact, in one of those posts, I did put an emoji in the title. I put the the laughing so hard you're crying emoji in the title, and they still didn't catch it. I mean, I, I, I don't at that point, I just don't know what what I can do. There's also been a problem this past week of people. Oh, I know what the huge thing was. People not able to discern what what is obviously fake news. So the, the, some blog post of a blog in Canada puts out this post that says, um, we have confirmed that, uh, Pope Francis has been arrested and it's, it's complete BS and it's obviously BS 80 counts of possession of child pornography. We have confirmed confirmed by who? Can you give me a link to some? Is there any link to anything? No, nothing. No statement of who confirmed this, no statement of what the source is, and absolutely no linkage or any documentation of anything. And the blog is called Canadian Beaver, which I suspect is a borderline pornographic reference. Um, Guys, you have to do better than this. You have to be more savvy about figuring out and discerning what what's legit and what's fake. 
Number one, if if somebody's legit, they're probably going to have a a citation, a source, a link to something else. And I'm not saying that it has to be, I obviously am not saying that it has to be what's considered the mainstream media. In fact, I mean, we all know that that's all lies. And and this speaks to to the absolute predicament that we're in, that... um, Basically, nothing is trustworthy in terms of media anymore. But guys, you've got to do better than this. So I'm just getting emails all day long and all night long. Pope Francis arrested in every single one of them. I did my duty and I replied and I said, 100% fake news, send 100, 100% fake news sent. I didn't chew anybody out and saying, come on, this was obviously bull. I just replied very succinctly because there were so many of them, 100% fake news. Guys, you've got to do better. Like our Lord said, you have to be wise as serpents and simple as, and simple as, as doves. You've got to be able, you have to be savvy and you have to be able to discern this stuff. And I mean, if 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 Bergoglio had been arrested, I I think we would have known about it. Somebody somehow it would have been somebody would have known about it. You can't just go off of some low traffic blog with no citations or anything. Who even in their own in their own prose don't even don't even say they didn't he didn't even try to fake it he didn't even try to say you know the italian ministry of justice or anything like that there was nothing it just said it has been confirmed that well he's just making stuff up and you have to be able to discern when when someone is just a pathetic loser sitting in their mother's basement, probably naked between video game sessions, deciding to get some kicks and getting off on traffic spikes. That is what drives a lot of these people. When you get, when you put up a post and you get a bunch of links and you look at your real time stats and you have hundreds and hundreds, or if not thousands of thousands and thousands of active visitors on your blog and you're some, some loser who only probably has a few dozen or a few hundred, um, unique visitors a day. These idiots get off on that. They get a rush off of that because they're pathetic. That's what all of that is about. That's what most of this Q stuff is about. This is what most of these people posting rumors and com boxes and this, that, and the other. They just like watching people. They get off on, on being able to jerk people around and manipulate people and watch people um, react to what they say. This goes back to diabolical narcissism, and um, I think we linked to this book. If uh, no, that was a private conversation. We'll put a link to this book in the show notes. It's a book called "People of the Lie." There are people who are pathological liars and just get the biggest narcissistic rush off of lying. And then they feel superior because they tell themselves, "Look at how stupid everyone else is believing." whatever I say, believing my lies. And so lying just becomes this rush and they actually feel this, uh, this bizarre Luciferian self-esteem. Look how smart I am. People will believe anything that I say. And I've encountered 
people like that over the course of my life, both in the commodities industry and then with since I've since I retired from that and and fell in with with the uh, trad intelligentsia. There are pathological liars who will just stare you in the face and lie to your face. How much easier is it to lie when you only have to do it on a computer screen? You don't even have to look anybody in the eye. You don't even have to have that skill. You can just do it online. I mean, it's, and there's a lot of people like that. And because everything is collapsing, because there is mass, mass apostasy, because um, Lucifer and his power is on the rise and demonic oppression is on the rise, and, and Christian civilization is devolving into a neo-pagan and um, mirroring, in a lot, mirroring in a lot of senses the Islamic culture, which is based on mendacity, as is the pagan Asian cultures. Um, talk, talk to Chinese people about the fundamental trustworthiness of mainland Chinese people. They, they lie as a matter of course. They're trying to screw each other over all the time as a matter of course. This is on the, the ascendancy in our culture, and it's just absolutely pervasive online. You've got to be so careful about what you believe and what you start sending around. And, and yeah, it was really disappointing to see that certain people who were posting that uh, quote unquote, Pope Francis was arrested thing because it was so obviously fake. So it didn't even include the phrase people familiar with the matter. No, I mean, just nothing. It was absolutely nothing. It was one of the most obviously fabricated and just badly fabricated um, blind items that I'd ever seen. And the number of people who fell for that was just astounding. Before we went off on a series of tangents, I was building towards something and I forgot where I was going now. What what the point of this whole episode is and should be and what people are emailing and asking for is, Super Nerd, can you go down the list and tell us what are the alternatives for this, that, and the other, for a phone, for, um, you know, messaging, for communication, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mentioned, and I hope hopefully this is uh, irrelevant for a lot of the listeners, but if you do have Netflix, watch The Social Dilemma. A lot of the, the, the um, addictive qualities that go along with a lot of these products, and, and it could be it could be at play with, with uh, email or Signal or Wire or Telegram, which I don't recommend, but uh, it's the, the whole the whole notion of I have to know if somebody was talking to me. I have to know if somebody's replying. That that's yeah. equally valid on email uh, and and other totally secure means of communication as much as it is on Twitter and the other means that are just trying to uh, implement a form of surveillance capitalism to sell your attention to the highest bidder. Um, turn off your alerts as much as possible. Now, you know that that we've talked about this in the past. I, I've said that I've got an iPhone, and it's because it's not necessarily that I love Apple. It's it's the most secure option available out there. Well, today I took delivery of my new my new phone, which it's not ready for service yet, but it's a Google Pixel 4a. Now, but people, dot dot dot. <laughs> exactly. So people are saying, wait a minute. Super nerd, you hate Google and the, uh-huh. all the surveillance. That's absolutely true. I'm not going to run Android on this. 
Uh, the reason I, I picked Pixel is, is because it, it is one of the hardware devices made by Google to be easily updatable, which also means you can put a different operating system on it. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to put uh, an operating system called Graphene on it. And um, without going too far down a tech uh, rabbit hole here, the Android operating system started originally as, as something called AOSP, as Android Open Source Project. Over the different iterations and versions, and they're up to... Uh, technically 11 at this point but there have been more versions than that when you go back to the like 2.2 2.3 days back in gingerbread and 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 the older versions of of android it used to be that all of the functionality for all the applications and all the services on on an android phone lived within aosp over time what google has done it's partly practical but it's also partly insidious uh for a number of reasons because the difficulty of, well, the impossibility in practical terms of upgrading Android on a lot of handsets. If you own an Android phone, you know that if you want to upgrade to the latest Android operating system, you either have to have the most expensive Samsung phone or a Google Pixel, or you buy a new phone. So if you're buying the cheap stuff, like um, a ZTE phone or an LG, um, whatever the, the cheap ones are, you're not going to get an upgrade to Android. Uh, it, you're not going to get the latest, the, the, the next latest, greatest version every single year, like iPhone users do. And one nice thing about because it's that, not big, it's not big enough. The, the no, it's 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 the way it's the way the operating operating system was built, and also the demands that uh, Google put forth versus what Apple said. Apple loves their walled garden, and they issued demands to AT and T. We will only allow you to put this on your network if you accept these demands, which were outrageous at the time the idea that apple would decide when there's going to be an upgrade to the operating system and they would ship it and at&t would would like it period you're you're not going to interfere with it and when apple got away with that then microsoft who was sitting back saying wait we had the first smartphone back in 1999 and nobody ever used it (laughs) and Uh and said they've they've launched and failed at smartphones more times than any other company I know, and, I remember them. They were, yeah. It was called Windows CE, which stood for mm-hmm. Windows Compact Edition, but I think the people who wrote, read it as Wince were probably a little more correct. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I never, that's like the Chevy Nova in, in Mexico means it doesn't go, Nova. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but when, when, when Microsoft finally got their act together, it was too late. Uh, the, the Windows Mobile phone, uh, Windows 8, Windows Mobile 8 and beyond. And Windows Mobile 10 was an excellent operating system. And by that point, um, they had a, they had bought Nokia to have a captive audience to uh, or a hardware audience to ship their, their stuff. And it wasn't locked to Nokia. There were still Samsung phones that were shipping with Windows 10. But part of the part of the fun of, of Windows 10, and I've got a Windows phone sitting on my desk over here or on my shelf over here, is that you could upgrade the operating system independent of, you didn't have to ask permission of the handset maker, even if it wasn't Nokia. Uh, you didn't have to ask permission from the from the network vendor or Verizon or AT&T or anybody like that. With When it comes to Android phones, with the exception of Google Pixel phones, to get an update to the operating system, you have to have agreement between Google, which is easy. They're the ones who ship the update, the handset maker, Samsung, and the, and the vendor, Verizon, for example. If Samsung and Google, or if Samsung has implemented the upgrade and Verizon doesn't want to ship it yet, your phone doesn't get an upgrade. Now, things might have changed a little bit, but that's more or less the way it's worked for a long time. So Google has said, okay, fine. 
we can figure out how to make some upgrades by moving the, the features out of the Android operating system or Android open system project, AOSP, to something they called Google Mobile Services. That was not so much operating system as it was an application on the phone, a pretty low level application, but it was still an application on the phone. And they could upgrade that without upgrading the lower operating system. And so all of the really smart features that come with a, a phone, specifically push notifications, so if you have something like Signal or Wire, which we've mentioned a couple times, multiple times on, on the podcast, uh, when you get a new message, um, that new message notification goes through something called Google Firebase Messaging. And that is not part of Android Open AOSP. That's part of GMS, which is uh, Google's uh, platform for pushing notifications and rich application features. So on, on an operating, operating system like Graphene, that's missing. So it doesn't mean, uh, even though it, it's a, it's, it's a de-Googled version of Android, and it's a very secure de-Googled form of Android, there are a lot of Android applications that can be installed and run, but they won't run the same way. And a lot of them have to be recompiled for the assumption you don't have GMS there. So, for example, you can get Signal, I think, on Graphene. I, I was actually in the process, and that's why we were late starting recording tonight, is I was trying to get uh, Graphene loaded on my foray. And I was look, looking at the clock. It's like, oh, it's it's 920. I, I got to stop because we, we got to record the podcast. But um, with, with uh, Signal or uh, Bitwarden, my favorite password manager, it runs on graphene, but they say the push notification updates don't work. It's just not there. So what you'll have to do is manually tell the application, go look for an update, which to me is a feature. I don't have this thing yeah. on, on my desk or in my pocket saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Look at me, yeah. look at me, look at me. I turn all notifications off. I have my phone set to be 100% silent at all times. The only way I know that I have like a new email is if I, um, what do they call it? A badge, you know, where the, there's the number count. And if the number count goes up, I see that I have a new email. But oh, Okay. Yeah. There's, I, I do that on Sunday mornings and then I forget about it um, after mass, but I'll put my phone in do not disturb mode, which means that the notifications are still happening. The, the push notifications in the background still happen. But mm. unless you look at your phone and see the, you know, scrolling list of everything that's happened since the last time you looked at your phone, you would have no clue. What I'm talking about is you wouldn't even have that. Mm -hmm. You would have to you would have to go to your mail application, say, go look mm -hmm. for new mail. You remember how Eudora worked back in the nineties? Yeah. That you launched the application, you had to say, Go look for new mail. It mm -hmm. didn't automatically just say, hey, there's new mail. Stop whatever you were doing on that other application that's probably important you're getting paid for. Come look at this. Oh, in other words, you have to refresh your inbox, basically, is what yes. you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Hey, put, hey, anything anything to cut the cord and get the addictive quality away from it. Um, who is it? Someone I do business. Oh, uh, continue to give. So, you know, they're awesome. And whenever I have any issues, I, I, I literally just directly email the CEO of the company. Not that, you know, I'm bragging or anything. I'm, I'm bragging on them because that's how, you know, close knit and, and down to earth this company is that I've got the email address of the CEO and he handles all of my, basically all my tech support stuff. And so he has started his 
his email account now sends a message that says like under under advice from his spiritual advisor or something like that. He only checks his email twice a day. And he said it's like at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what it says, but I'm, I'm like, for real, good, good for you, man, because in in my adult lifetime, communication was done by um, snail mail and telephone. You know, I mean, are are we really to the point where we just we just cannot function on any level unless we are just constantly plugged into this? And I would say the answer to that is no. I think it's all a delusion that we all think that we have to be just constantly, constantly, constantly. And once again, getting back to that word addiction, um, even now you can see people who are saying, who are just losing all of their Twitter followers and everybody's leaving and they're not going to quit. They're going to stay until they're just screaming into the abyss even more than they were just screaming into the abyss before because of the addiction. And I, I'm not going to stop this and, and so on and so forth. It's it's really sad to watch, but I think, um, that brings up something you for me, God bless you. Thank you so much, which is why you earned the moniker super nerd. You de-googled me from Gmail, um, within the past week. And I think a lot of people are wanting to do that. And in fact, if you were to send, there's a few people that had, my Gmail address, I mean, it was no secret or anything, but the, the email address that I want to use and, and I only care to use really, and everything flows in around that and is connected to that is obviously Anne at barnhart.biz. But I had to have a Gmail account to have the Anne at barnhart.biz address pointing to somewhere. And of course, this week, everybody's saying, okay, completely done with Google, get me off of Gmail. And you migrated me over to Fastmail. And I think a lot of people are probably, a lot of the listeners are interested in that. So if you could kind of run through that for people, I think they'd appreciate it a lot. Well, to a certain degree, I kind of owed you because it was back in 2012, when, when you were wrapping up with Barnhart Capital Management and right. uh, all the previous infrastructure that you were on there, mm-hmm. I, moved, I moved you over to a WordPress web, website, which you said it just needs to be, you know, white trash, good enough. Or I, I may, that may not have been the right term. It, I think basic. I don't know why white trash sticks in my mind. Just re- really basic blue jean kind of kind of thing, yep. which is where it gave me the idea for the, the uh, imagery on the side. But... Um, uh, just, just make it, make it basic, make it work. Yeah. And, and, uh, you also wanted to get off of your hosted, uh, outlook provider, which was costing you a lot of money per month. And I said, why don't you just go to Gmail? And, and I remember at the time your question was, can the, can the government read it? And I said, the government can read everything. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I don't care about that aspect of it. I care about where am I getting the biggest bang for the buck in terms of features and what's the easiest to use. And at the time it was just no, no question. Google was, Gmail was easily the best email platform out there. Yes, they do have algorithms reading your email to figure out what to sell you ads on. And there used to be in the early days of Gmail, 
uh, ads along the right-hand side. This is back in the early 2000, mid-2000s when Gmail was still brand new. Mm-hmm. And back when you needed an invite to get into Gmail. And and uh, I remember in the early days, I'd invite somebody into Gmail and they'd say, well, what's so great about this? And and, and then they'd, I'd, I'd talk to them about the messaging threading feature, and which was phenomenal. I, I was, ironically, coming full circle. Before I moved to Gmail back in 2004 or something like that, I was using Fastmail. And I was paying for, for email hosting through Fastmail. And I, I was just blown away by the feature set of Gmail. I was like, forget paying for this. I'm, I'm going to get it through Gmail for free. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I would tell people about this, like, oh, this is so awesome. Like The ads on the side are a little weird. But but um, you know, and that always came up in the conversation eventually. Once you get through talking about the features with them, of course, talking to them through, through Gmail. And then once they make a comment about the ads are weird, but whatever, I would start making these very precise but completely out of the blue conversations like so when, when you fly to the philippines uh where do you plan to stay are, are you going to be staying in Mindanao? are you have, have you gotten prepaid calling cards for calling back home because the, the the long distance rates are really expensive and i'd get the reply like what the heck are you talking about and mm-hmm. then i see where this ten, is going ten mm-hmm. minutes later, it's like it says all capitals what the heck are they reading my email because all the ads yeah. along the side now were about flights to the philippines prepaid calling cards places to stay in Mindanao. <laughs> That's oh, all still happening. They, they, they were Facebooking before Facebook even was Facebook. Wow. Oh, Facebook. Nice. When they, if you watch the documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma, the guy who was hired by Facebook to figure out how to monetize the thing, they were looking at Google as the gold standard, no pun intended, on how to monetize information. Mm. And mm-hmm. even though Gmail doesn't show ads in Gmail anymore, you can bet your bottom that they are absolutely reading absolutely everything. And if you read the terms of service, it says it too. And it doesn't mean a human at Google is reading it. They don't have time for they Ain't nobody got time for that. They've got, they've got programs reading your email. They're looking for keywords, whether it's the word Trump, whether it's the, you know, the phrase uh-huh. MAGA, whether it's um, thank God Biden won or something like that. They're figuring out what is your psychographic profile and what will you buy? Now they're not uh-huh. going to sell you the ads on Gmail. They're going to surface that someplace else, like when you do searches on Google. Because typically, what most people do, they're going to be using a Google search on the same browser in the same context as their Gmail account. Mm-hmm. So when you log into Gmail, you are logged into Google across the internet. Yeah. Which is which includes the- YouTube, too. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What There's a phrase that I've used before when it comes to photography, the, the, the lens looks both ways. In other words, if you look at the work of a particular photographer, and it's all about whatever the topic is, it tells you what is interesting to the photographer. If it's all about mm-hmm. sports, if it's all about architecture, if it's all about um, left-handed ballerinas who are four foot eight, uh, whatever whatever the the subject matter is that the photographer photographer finds particularly interesting. Uh, if it's somebody who is uh, a connoisseur of painting with a with light in a way that doesn't really appear in nature but makes a very interesting view on, mm-hmm. on, as a photograph which is what I tried to follow and what I tried to do when I was into photography I just thought that was really awesome how you can make a photograph in the middle of the day but it looks like sunset and you can do massive color shifts at the same time and it looks really striking and dramatic when if you just took the photo without any light modification whatsoever like yeah it's a snapshot that, I, mean, I struggle to keep my finger from in front of the lens. So <laughs> we're, we're at a different level of competence in terms of photography. But get get back to Gmail and, and tell these people 
how to, how to get over, how, how to get off of it. Oh, and tell them about the guys we transferred like all of my data quickly. My entire years and years, how, many, how, many, how much was it? How many gigabytes was it? 22 gigabytes. 22 gigabytes. And I keep all of my emails, honey. And let me tell you what, that comes in handy. Because, you know, when you've got, you're on the internet and you've got, you know, adversaries and enemies who are, who are making stuff up about you, I can just whip out my phone and pull up the emails and show it to people. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that. And people have looked at me and gone, Oh, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, you know, so keep your, keep your email um, archives and don't be afraid of how big it is because I, I was shocked that that thing migrated over in, in just a few minutes. We're, we're talking about trying to be working on a decade's worth of email, like everything in, in, out, back, forth, everything. It was amazing. What was it called? Google, Google toolbox or what was that called? Well, it was, it was just a import tool. But what's, what is it called? It's called because people are going to need to know this in order to do this for themselves. Well, you on, go on, to Fastmail, you get a Fastmail account, and then you go to what's it called? Google. No, in in Fastmail, the toolbox in, in Fastmail in the settings, there there is a a tool for importing or exporting your data. It, go, it goes both directions too. So if you get fed up with Fastmail and you want to leave and take all your data with you, they're gonna they will make it easy for you. And unlike Google with Google Takeout, they will give you Google a, Takeout. Well, that's it. That's that's it, yeah. what we did initially. And that's what I was thinking. I was going to have to use some other programs to upload it. But while I was waiting for Google to get their act together and send me the the information for downloading your stuff, mm -hmm. I, I I was looking through because I, I had I, I set up your account initially and set up the the logins and the passwords and all that before I turned it over to you and said, here, go change your password and have fun with it from there. Mm -hmm. I was looking around it. It's like, well, what does this import thing look like? And I realized, oh, duh. Why did I never think about this before? It's a simple OAuth uh, open authentication uh, framework where the Fastmail service sends a request to Google saying, I want read-write access to this person's Gmail account, uh, their Google account, actually, and I want to be able to access all of their contacts, and I want to be able to access all of their email and calendars and anything else you want to authorize at this point. It's it's a pretty standard way of of giving somebody access to your Google account without giving them your login and information. So what ha the way this works is from, from Fastmail, you say, I want to initiate the process of importing from Gmail. It sends a message over to Google and it, it pops up a little window and says, okay, you gotta log in with your Google credentials. Fastmail uh -huh. isn't getting that, that's going to Gmail. That's going to Google. Uh -huh. And it's saying, okay, fast. once you log in and authenticate, and, and depending upon how your security is set up, you may have to enter in a code that it sends to your phone or email or whatever. But once that authentication takes place, then you'll get another screen saying, Fastmail is asking for access to all the rest, which is another good clue. You're not talking to Fast, you're not giving that, that content information to Fastmail, you're giving it to Google. And it's saying, hey, are you sure you want to do this to Fastmail? Well, absolutely, that's the whole point, dude. I'm trying to get off your platform. Mm -hmm. So you let that go. And the reason I was going to download all your data from Google and then push it up to Fastmail. So I'm sitting on a gigabit connection here. I've got a way faster internet connection than you do. But then once I saw that that uh, import process, like, well, shoot, that's all in the cloud. Fastmail's on probably an OC48, which is running terabytes per second in and out of their data center. They can talk to Google faster than I can. So 
if this works the way I think it will, then go. Now, that works for you. Uh, we set you up with an account that has, I think, 100 gigabytes of storage. And uh, Oh, yeah, I, and how much did we, ha- we had to pay? We got three years in advance, and it was... 200 and some? It turned out 70 to be, bucks a year? well, $76.67 because it was, it was a palindrome. I remember that. And we initially were looking at Proton Mail, And of course, that was the, I mentioned to a couple of people when I think I, I posted it on Twitter that, that mm-hmm. moved your, your content over. And I put a link, a little promotional link that, hey, if, if you want to do the same, click through this. It gives a little small kickback to uh, the Super Nerd Media Fast Mail account. So it, it kind of helps fund in that way. Plus, you get off of Google. That's, I mean, everybody wins. But yeah. uh, I, I posted that on Twitter and started getting some feedback. Why not Proton Mail? Uh, because Proton Mail charges six dollars. It's it's based in Europe, so it's all in euros. Watch well, it's, it's in it's in Switzerland actually, but they still price it in euros. It's uh, six twenty five, six six point two five euros per five gigabyte chunk of storage. So if that if you have more than five gigabytes of storage, which in your case we were starting out at a twenty two, mm-hmm. so you have to get five five gigabyte chunks, which would have been thirty seven fifty euros a month. A month, yeah. A month, yeah. Compared to seventy six sixty seven per year when you buy three years, and that gives me a hundred, right? Hundred gigabytes. Now, okay, and, tra- and guys, almost a decade of email data for me with images and everything was twenty two gigabytes. Now, the, so the the trade off is Proton Mail is end to end encrypted. It is it is secure as long as the other email is coming to you PGP encrypted based on your key or it's coming from another ProtonMail account. Which? And, pe- and people who, you know, if that just went over your head, ProtonMail is, is, is sold as being something completely secure, which is true as long as you're only interacting with another ProtonMail account, which mm-hmm. Anne, mm-hmm. Anne can still set up and I would actually kind of recommend and set up a ProtonMail account so that if somebody's got like super top secret information that they just don't want anybody else to see, like under penalty of death kind of thing, they go set up their own Proton Mail account, email Anne at annabarnhart.biz saying, would you please email me from your Proton Mail account? I've got top secret information to share with you, which mm-hmm. if, if Anne wants to do that. At that point, then you just have those top secret things handled through there. Fast Mail is, it, it, you're paying for the service. They're not, they're not selling your information. They're not doing um, AI programs, reading it to figure out if you're trying to find uh, cheap flights to Mindanao or or prepaid uh, phone cards or anything like that. They're just selling email. Can they go look at look at your um, content and turn it over to somebody if they get a warrant? Sure. It's an Australian-based company, so just the fact that it's based out of Australia, uh, the diplomatic clearances that would need to be... Uh, cleared for the FBI to say, turn over our, your information. Um, it's it's a little more difficult because it has to be a little more formal as opposed to if it was a U.S. company and the FBI says, turn over this information, we're going to give you a national security letter about this. The company has to do it and they can't even talk about it. But if it's an Australian company, they can say, go away, mate. Come back through uh, the Australian uh, State Department. And hmm. and just, just the the amount of hoops they have to go through to be able to do that. And that doesn't make it, you know, imper- you know, totally um, secure. I mean, if, if, if you're, if there is, re- if the FBI has reason to believe that you're going to do something seriously dangerous or um, that you really are talking to Q or something like that, 
Um, they'll get, they'll go through the proper channels. If they, if you really are a person of interest, they'll go through the proper channels and they'll get your information. And the sysadmin who speaks Kiwi or Australian will pull your server records and, and it's all unencrypted at that, that point. And that, but that's not, the, that's not the point. You don't use fast mail to be encrypted. If encryption and nobody getting to your stuff is that important, you go to proton mail and you don't accept email from any, anybody who's not on proton mail. That's just a level of paranoia. Actually, if you're that paranoid, you're not on email. Yeah, it, it's it's the yeah. it's the balance between I'm not having the big tech companies figuring out how to sell me to everybody for the highest highest bidder. I'm just buying the service, and I want the service for what it is. That's what Fastmail is. It's an email service. I'm paying for it. It gives me my service. They're not trying to, you know, they're not trying to make money from any from me any other way. Okay. Well, what about um, mining mining conversations that you have via email to come after you and destroy your life? A la you, Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Um, Facebook is is interested in making money. Well, they're interested in making money and changing society. But um, well, yeah. I mean, Facebook. I think is going to be the main vector of of coming after people. Although I, if, if I'm not mistaken, relatively young people have basically abandoned Facebook and they're all doing things through what in Instagram, which I still to this day don't even understand. And, um, what's the other one? I, I don't even know, but I, as, as I understand oh, it, young, yeah, TikTok, young, young kids just really aren't much on Facebook. That's more of a, you know, pathetic middle-aged gen x you know that whole thing for the people who think tiktok is interesting you might as well just call the chinese consulate and say how can i help you formulate plans for china's ascendancy mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. might as well just go that direction yeah i know tiktok usa was sold to larry ellison who's a different brand of evil but that's you know, still, TikTok is, I don't get it either. It's short video service. We have YouTube. You can do the same thing through there. I, I don't get it. But YouTube is Google. And it, I mean, it just it just keeps going and going. I mean, it's it's just to the point now where I think the bottom line, it comes down to this. Um, people just need to come to grips with the fact that these, these platforms, these um, means of communication that people have become accustomed to, you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to scale all of that way the hell back. And if you're addicted, you're going to have to, you're going to have to break the addiction. And it's an addiction just exactly like crack or meth or whatever it is that Jordan Peterson is doing today. Okay. It's, it's an addiction. You're going to have to deal with this. Um, there's no way we can't give you a, um, and I, and I'm not really interested from a moral perspective on enabling people to switch from one, um, spiritually destructive social media platform to another and declare that the other one is somehow, okay and fine and has moral rectitude and all that. Um, I understand that people want to continue to have email, for example, but I think, I think we all just need to acknowledge that the whole Facebook thing was, was dumb. We were dumb to do it. It was a giant mistake. You don't need, you don't need that to keep in contact with your family. 
I, I don't, I don't have it. I don't need it to keep in contact with anybody. You, if you have email, why don't you email pictures to your family members? Um, what, what's the problem with that? Why do we have to have these things? Why do we imagine that we have to have these things? And why are we willing to, to crawl into bed with, with people who are probably morally worse than the Nazis? In fact, I think we can all kind of agree that these people are, in fact, morally worse than the Nazis and not blush at saying it. Um, wh- why are we okay with doing business with these people and being associated with these people and connect and connected with these companies and these businesses who are trying to destroy Christian civilization. And ultimately, as we talked about several episodes ago, Gates and and the rest of them that are just into completely psychotic um, um, bond villain levels of evil, of Luciferianism, they want to destroy everything. They want to destroy all life on earth. They want to destroy everything in creation because creation itself points to the creator. And they and at the end of the day, they're at war with God. Um, why do we imagine that we just have to keep doing business with these people and we will tell ourselves any and all lies in order to delude ourselves into believing that it's okay? It's okay to continue doing this. It's okay. The, you know, it's Stockholm syndrome. It truly is Stockholm syndrome. And Stockholm syndrome, in case you don't know, is a very, very, very real thing where people who are being held captive, held hostage, um, you know, have been kidnapped and are being tortured, whatever it is, that they form an, an affectionate bond to their captor. They, it's, it's, and it's clearly a defense mechanism. They try to befriend and ingratiate themselves to the, to their captors and to the people who are abusing them as a way to try to either escape or reduce the level of torture or whatever it is. This is, this is a form of Stockholm syndrome. You need to tell Zuckerberg to Go go jump in the lake to use a, a very a very genteel term for it. I mean, these people are capital criminals. These these are some of the largest crimes against humanity that have ever been perpetrated. The whole Corona scam. We've we've talked about this at length. These people are capital arch criminals. And cap capital, you all understand what that means. It means that in a sane, just society with a rule of law, the death penalty would be on the table. It's not obligatory, but it's on the table. That the crimes merit that. Um, and so, the bad news is, and the grown-up thing that everybody is just going to have to come to grips with, is that this crap has to stop. And it has to all be scaled back. It has to all be dropped. And you've got to you've got to pull back basically to where you were probably 15, 20 years ago, where you're emailing people pictures. And I mean, even then, for for heaven's sake, you've got a you're carrying around a baby television in your pocket with you at all times that has a, a camera on it that is superior to motion picture level photography, not too terribly long ago, um, high definition, stereo sound, 
you're carrying this baby television around with you. You can email people pictures in real time through your email account. I mean, cry me a river, folks. Cry me a river. But get get detached from this this just this horror show that is destroying everything and is going and whose end objective ultimately is to destroy you, destroy your life and come after your children and either destroy them or convert your children into this into this absolutely luciferian hive collective that is in ascendancy before our very eyes. You said it better than I could. Well, although you said it in more words than I would have. No, well, that's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would I would have said it more simply as you know, technology is a tool for us. It's not a means to make us a tool. And mm. and when when it comes mm. to Facebook and and Google and Twitter and everybody else who is mining you to the highest bidder about your information, you are a tool to be mined. And so when when the phone beeps or buzzes or the phone or the computer gives you an alert, they're demanding your attention so they can sell something to an advertiser. Yeah. So if you turn off alert, I mean that that's that that's one of the hardest things to do and it the, the the social pushback could come from members of your own family if you try this uh, because if, if you're the kind of person who typically responds to a message within four seconds uh, you might want to tell people the, the people you, you message the most hey i'm going to try to cut back from this stuff um, if you message me i might not be, be answering right away if you don't tell your spouse that or the people who are depending on you, don't do this at work. That's probably a bad place to do it. Um, <laughs> you might get fired for that. But it, the, the idea being if you turn off notifications, you will not know that something's trying to grab your attention. And yeah. you know what? You might just have a happier day. You might notice other things in the world around you that you wouldn't notice otherwise. And I, and I think I've talked about this before and the whole idea of doing a – um, a fasting from media. I, I love to listen to podcasts and audiobooks, but there are times you just need to not listen for one or two days straight. Mm-hmm. And the, the the random thoughts that occur to you and the conclusions you can draw that when you don't have some kind of stimulus, even if it's positive stimulus, even if you're listening to sermons, even if you're listening to um, the 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 life story of of uh, Saint Augustine or Saint Alphonsus or something like that, something which is objectively good, but if you're cramming it all in constantly. Yeah. It's yep. like it's like eating the most healthy food nonstop all day long. You're going to vomit it all out, and it's not going to do anything good for you nutritionally. Silence, solitude. Um, these are incredibly important, and that should be intuitive to us, especially anyone who's Catholic, because, I mean, look what the... So what is considered one of the the highest states of earthly life is being a hermit. I mean, the hermits are the people who go away not because they're mentally ill or or they're misanthropes and they hate everybody. They're people who who go away and and are alone because they've reached that place where they just sit and contemplate God, and and it's it's one of the highest states that a person can reach while they're on earth. Um, and fasting and penance is key to that life. I mean, in, indeed, in, indeed. I mean, of course. Yeah. And you look at monasteries and all of the silence there that they literally are not allowed to speak for significant 
swaths of the day. There's only a, a short period of time. And even then when they do speak, a lot of them that what the they keep talk and conversation to an absolute minimum because precisely because silence is so important. And that, again, reiterating, it doesn't mean that you're mentally ill. It doesn't mean that you're a misanthrope. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, confusion about what the word introvert and introverted means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't like people and you're antisocial and you have no social graces and you're rude and you're unpleasant or anything like that, or shy. It doesn't mean that you're shy. What introversion means at the end of the day is that you really don't have a problem being alone. You don't have a problem being in solitude. You don't have a problem with silence. Um, if I may report from my own personal experience, I am extremely introverted. And you'd say, oh, Ann, that's crazy. You, you talk and talk and talk and you got a podcast and da-da-da-da-da and you're very outspoken. And you know, people who know me in real life would know that I'm very socially graceful and you know, in some circumstances, even outgoing and can take the initiative in terms of so social interaction and striking up conversations and keeping conversations going. That doesn't mean I'm not introverted. It just means that when I'm out and around people that I'm not, frankly, mentally, <laughs> you know, I'm not a person who's just going to be, you know, staring at someone in silence and can't read a situation and can't read people and, and know how to react in a socially graceful way. What it does mean, and, and especially now with this um, corona scam situation, tremendous amounts of solitude. It doesn't bother me? No, not at all. Not at all. There's plenty to do, and a lot of that time is spent in total silence. And so, yeah, you get you get to think, and you get to think about our Lord, and you get to think about the lives of the saints, and you get to think about how, um, you know, the concepts that we learn apply to daily life and what's going on and how the mysteries of the rosary apply to what's going on and on and on and on. But you have to be alone with yourself in silence and just be able to think in an uninterrupted way. Um, and sadly, it's to the point now where I think in like, you know, North American society about the only quiet time that people get consistently anymore is the shower, which is why I think a lot of people say and agree that some of the best thinking time that they have is while they're taking their shower. Because you can't and, take the darn electronic stuff into the shower with you. Yep. And you've got the white noise of the sound of the shower and you're and you're doing something with your body. You're you you know, everybody has a shower ritual. Everybody has an order of, you know, what they wash and what they shave and, you know, rinse, repeat, blah, blah, blah. And so you don't even have to think. You, you can do a complete shower and you don't, you don't have to think about what you're doing. And so your brain is free in that time to really contemplate. Um, and now that you mention it, I guarantee that within the next 18 months, Apple or somebody else is going to introduce earbuds or, or the ear pods well, yeah. or whatever they're calling those things that are, are meant oh. to work in the shower to be waterproof. And that's going to be the specific ad. It's going to be yep. working in the shower and it's going to be as close to porn as they can get it to make it uh, alluring in, in the yep. advertisements. Uh, oh, that's oh, it's brilliant. so awesome. My shower is so yep. much better because I can listen to whatever it is you're listening to and have no silence in your life whatsoever. God forbid yep, you have you any silence at all. Yep. 
Ex- well, oh, that's well done. You win. You win the, the oh, okay title like um, earbuds in the shower or something like that because that <laughs> that is th- that is the best point made in this podcast. You are absolutely right about. Well, that. to phrase it another way around, the one one of the one of the phrases I heard from a priest on a retreat once is God is always speaking to you, but he doesn't raise his voice to get over your distractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the old man who taught me the cattle business, he, he f- basically forbade ever turning on the radio when they were in the car. And they, I mean, they lived, they lived up in Canada and they, I think they, they refused to fly. I think they, they stopped flying. They refused to fly. And so they'd be driving just like thousands and thousands of miles from uh, like up in the Northwest territories down to Texas and blah, blah, blah. It was all done in silence. Now he was probably on the Asperger spectrum. So I'm not going to hold, you know, we nor mere, mere, average human beings to this, but he, he said that the time when you're in the car driving is absolutely precious thinking time. And I never squander that by turning on the radio, he said. And, you know, you can see in retrospect exactly what it is that he was talking about. Now, like I said, most of us who are normal, we could have, you know, a good good 45 minutes, hour, whatever it is of, um, of thinking time in the car. And then, you know, you're going to turn the radio on so you don't fall asleep or whatever. But we've also made the same point about the rosary. That's why the rosary is so powerful. And it, it is, it, it can be such an absolute joy because it it gives you the opportunity to really really think and you say well Anne, that that doesn't sound right cuz then you're not thinking about the prayers oh you'd be surprised how your brain can run on two channels um and your one channel is is saying the prayers and is mindful of what you're saying so that it's not mindless repetition and then your brain has another channel rocking and rolling in which you are thinking about things. The human brain is absolutely astounding. And I think everyone pretty much has the capacity to think in two channels like that. It's just that in today's world, people don't do it. It's rare. People kind of refuse to do it. It's the proper way of being mindful. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the big thing now is mindfulness. It's it's more Eastern meditation and emptying yourself of all of all of everything, uh, honestly, is, is the way that Eastern meditations work, and of course, nature abhors a vacuum. So does mm-hmm. supernature. So if you uh, if you empty yourself of everything, there is a spirit who is not of the Holy Spirit who will fill that void. Yeah. So there is there is definite value in in things in in, in practices that physically calm you down, and breathing is one of them. I mean, you, if you consciously breathe slowly, deeply. Uh, that will calm you down, and the and the the human being is a is a physical spiritual uh, synthesis. So uh-huh. if you can calm down the physical side, you can you can uh, make that calmness cascade into the soul as well. But if you do something stupid like like uh, leveraging Eastern spirituality and saying, you know, breathe in positive energy and let go of everything, it's like no, you breathe in Jesus and let go of yourself. Right. Fill exactly. yourself with the Holy Ghost. Yep. Yep. Or Holy Spirit, if you translate it that way. And then it'll be absolutely amazing that the, the things that come to mind and the things that start to become clear and make sense. And then you'll, you'll start saying things to yourself like, 
why can't anyone else see this? And it's not being arrogant and thinking, you know, I'm the smartest person in the world. What you realize is just that everyone everyone else around you, and Corona Scam is, of course, the, the biggest example of this, is that people just, they don't have the capacity to think. And then they're also crippled by sin. And we've talked about this at length. Sin makes you stupid. It darkens the intellect. It doesn't lower your IQ, but it darkens the intellect so that you can't make connections and you can't put two and two together and you can't think in a logical, reasoned progression the way you should be able to. And, and, you know, we've just finished explaining why it is that nobody can think. Nobody's even trying to think. It's just, you know, turn turn on the screen and whatever the faces and the voices on the screen say, that's what goes into your noodle. Um, and that's how you end up with a suicidal um, self-destruction that that we're living through right now. There are certainly better ways to do it. Yep. And well, while, while I have more notes, I think most of them will keep. Yeah. Um, you know, the quack scene isn't going away anytime soon. Oh yeah, um, we've th- there's a new word today, guys. It's not it's not the death vax or 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 the the vaccine. It's the quack scene, which you could spell Q U A C C I N E, or I suppose you could do Q U a X X I N E, but I, I'm going to do double C. I'm going to keep it as close to English as possible. It is the quack scene. I'm I'm loving that. I'll have to see if I can find a um, a meme generator and get like the Sesame Street uh, character saying Q is for quack scene. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> that could be a show title too. <laughs> no, and no, seriously, we, guys. We, except we didn't really talk about it until now. Yeah. But guys, don't don't do it. There's all kinds of evidence coming in of people getting. I mean, Bell's palsy t- looks like it's some of the most uh, benign. There's a video going around. I haven't confirmed it yet. I'm not going to post it because I'm not 100 percent sure. It is it is conceivably possible that the woman is faking it, but she appears to have the uncontrollable um, convulsions. Just the constant. I don't know how to explain it. Her body is just constantly doing these massive twitching movements, and it's a real thing. Um, and it, it 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 would destroy your life. It would. It's something that would literally destroy your life. You would not be able to work. You would not be able to do anything. You wouldn't be able to drive. Um, so there's stuff like that cr- cropping up. And Nurse Claire alerted us to the fact that the thing that is that doctors and nurses all over the place are seeing as a result of these quack scenes is um, people who are having um, a spleen, um, their spleen gets inflamed. And then what happens is that your body starts generating, and they think this is a function of the M- the mRNA thing, your body starts generating um antibodies that attack the platelets in your blood and start destroying the platelets in your blood. And if you remember what what blood platelets are, those are the little things that when you cut yourself and you're bleeding, that they they go and the platelets are what form the scab. It's what causes your blood to to coagulate and and 
stops the bleeding. What It's like what hemophiliacs don't have. And that's why if they get a bruise, they can bleed to death. Um, that's exactly what's happening. That's what, ha- that's what happened to the obstetrician in Florida. He went and got it. And about a week, uh, pretty quick afterwards, he started um, bleeding. And then this bleeding and internal bleeding just got worse and worse until finally his, um, it, it, he had a, he had a stroke and he bled out into his brain. And this is, that's it. When it gets to the worst, the worst iteration, um, it's not uncommon for it to be a, a bleed out in the brain. And when that starts, you're dead, you're, you're completely dead. Um, so there's serious stuff happening Please don't try to delude yourself into saying, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to fly. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do that. I want to have a life. I'm going to have to have a life. I'm just going to bite the bullet and do it. You're taking your life in your own hands. And remember what Nurse Claire told us. Um, Life insurance policies are not going to pay out on this stuff. And the um, all of the big pharma evil corporations, they all have complete um, what's it called indemnity. So it's it's written into the U.S. code. It is U.S. law right now that you cannot sue any of these pharma companies, no matter what happens to you as a result of these quaxines. So you're I don't want to say you're dumb, but. I don't know what other word there is. It's it's dumb to have anything to do with this, and you know, and and we haven't even gotten into the issue of the of the aborted baby cell line involvement and all of that. Um, we're we're leaving that compartmentalized. Yeah, let's let's save that for a later time. In fact, that if if you have uh, availability for Nurse Claire and Doctor Beep, that would be a great topic to talk about especially since over the next um, week or so, I'm going to have limited availability to record. So I might okay. not be on for two weeks or so, or maybe more as, as we'll see. So we'll get some alternative content on. Uh, coming but you up. can do post-production. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. Okay. I, I just don't, I won't have the ability to say, yes, I will have two hours uninterrupted to record. Okay. So, Okay. Um, yeah, the as 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 has been shown, I, I, I sometimes I can take several days to get something edited. Sometimes I get it done quickly, but it's it's the is the fact that I can I can do it in chunks as I have time. So uh, I can't exactly record uh, in chunks in the same way. You are super nerd. You're not average nerd. You are super nerd, <laughs> and we all we all are eternally grateful to you for everything that you do. Truly. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up then. The email address is for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, questions, uh, or good news items. Which again, we didn't exactly close the podcast with the great news tonight, but um, you know, we all get to go to heaven if we earn it, and that that's I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Anyway, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz, and emails for to that address land in both Anne's and my. Uh, inbox. So especially given the subject matter of of tonight's podcast, if you have something more technically advanced, just go ahead and send it to that address. I see it too. And uh, if you have questions about uh, secure end-to-end encrypted stuff, um, one thing I was going to say earlier is if if you have the question, is, is this particular product truly secure to the point that the government can't see it if they want to? Um, One quick way to answer that question is, can you reset your password? So for for example, on ProtonMail, when you sign up, they say, do not forget your password because if you lose it, you lose all your data. Mm. 
that is secure. That also means they can't reset your password and turn it all over. Like say, I don't know, iCloud or Outlook or Gmail or I'll stop because they, the, the list doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anne expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors. At least one mass every single day is said for mm-hmm. all of her benefactors. And of course, at least once a week, there is a traditional Latin requiem mass said for everybody who died in the previous week. Uh, if you think we're under attack right now, and you're not a priest, then you have no clue what being under attack is like. Uh-huh. And uh, all you have to do is ask your local friendly priest uh, what it's like to be him, and he'll he'll give you an earful if you want to. But um, just just uh, take my word for it; they are under attack way more than you can imagine. And uh, every bit of prayers you can you can you can throw their way is is uh, appreciated. Um, definitely pray for the priests; they definitely need our our help, and we need them more than they need us. Especially pray for their courage and moral fortitude. I think that's probably um, one of the biggest areas right now um, that that they will be brave in the face of what's coming. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. I, I suspect last year's uh, shutting down of, of masses and of, of or keeping churches closed. I think that was a warm up. I, I hope yeah. I'm wrong, but I think it's a warm up. Yeah. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more. And in terms of value, it's also the other uh, one of the other projects I work on is Latin Mass Live. So in terms of if we go back into a lockdown again, uh, being able to see the Mass is nice. Uh, in any, anything that can help you unite your, your, yourself with the fact that a Mass is happening somewhere, whether you can get to it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's something I, I built this to, to scratch my own itch, so to speak. And that's a common term for developers building an application that fits their own needs. But it turns out that a lot of people find this interesting too. It, it's one thing to know that there's a mass going on somewhere in the world right now. It's yeah. another thing to be able to go to Latin mass live, click the, one of those red links at the top and see it happening. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're weak. We're flesh and blood. If we don't see it right in front of our face, we can forget it's there, even though intellectually we know it. I mean, we're mm-hmm. all doubting Peters in this respect. So that's one of the other things that the the money goes toward. Um, but I want to recognize a couple of donors since the last podcast nine days ago via the Postal Service, Richard, uh, and via PayPal, Veronica, and um, I think PC Guy is the name I'm supposed to use here. I don't know because there was no other name. <laughs> On, the, on that one, but it came in through Amazon. And if you go to supernerdmedia.com, there is an option to donate uh, via Bitcoin if you really feel like it, but don't feel obliged to do it. There's almost never that that's actually needed. Um, I will let you wrap up with Matthew 1720. Um, pray every day and fast twice a week if you can. Fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. That um, anti-pope Bergoglio um, repent, revert to Catholicism die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. And that likewise, Pope Benedict um, repent of whatever he might need to repent of, um, that he die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. And yeah, there's rumors swirling that the Holy Father Pope Benedict is going to be given 
the the quack scene, which would be just monumentally dangerous for a, a man as old and as frail as he is. Um, uh, but on the other hand, as I was saying to somebody else earlier, um, Ganswine, uh, as soon as Pope Benedict is dead, Ganswine will be shipped off to proverbial Siberia immediately. So Ganswine wants to keep the Holy Father alive as long as he can. So hopefully, um, I don't want to say hopefully they're lying, but you understand what I mean. You're not, I'm not hoping that anybody commits a sin, but um, it's entirely possible because Ganswine is a proven liar that they won't give anything to the Holy Father, Pope Benedict, and they'll just say that they did as a public relations pose. But either way, you know, pray, pray for his protection. And um, it's, if, if, if he dies, things are going to get a lot more complex. So pray that, that he stays with us and that this is able to be resolved before he passes away. Um, um, obviously, because we, we want the best for him and we want the best for the church. And obviously the best thing for, ev- for all parties concerned is that the truth come out while both of them are still alive so that both of them have the opportunity to get completely squared away. And um, even again, we're, we're praying for Bergoglio, that he repents and reverts to Catholicism. Um, we're not just saying we hate him and he's awful and he's evil and he's probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. He's a human being. There's no such thing as a human being who is born damned. And that goes for Jorge Bergoglio. He could, he could repent, uh, repent and revert to Catholicism. And we are morally obliged to pray for him until he dies. So there we go. Let's get her done, guys. And what a monumental testimony that would be to God's mercy as well as his justice if that happens. It would be the, it would be the inverse of Judas Iscariot. It would be that significant. Yeah. Something that now that would be happy news and something definitely worth praying toward, praying for, praying about, and all the yep. other prepositions you could possibly attach to that. So until yep. next time, I'm going to go find a th- thesaurus and put graphene in my phone. I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>